0: Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. By Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran.
1: With me, Laura Curran.
0: Let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party.
1: Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now,
0: here's your host, Laura Curran.
1: Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, dear listeners. I have a very special guest today. She's my congresswoman. Her name is Kathleen Rice, and she's actually stepping down from Congress. So she first ran for Congress in 2014. So that is 14, 16, 18. So that's four elects Well done. In a very purple district. Anyway, Kathleen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's great to be here. Very happy to see you in person. Thanks for coming in. Before you were a congressperson, you were the DA of Nassau County, and you took out a real dinosaur. And I mean that kind of respectfully. He was there for a very long time. He was first elected in 1974. He's been crossing doors. He was unbeatable. And you, I don't even think you were quite 40. You came and you won.
2: Yeah, that was a really interesting time. It's funny, Laura, because when I talked to young people today, I say, if anyone asks you to run for office, just say yes. Don't think about it because if you think about it, you won't do it. Absolutely. (laughs) And we need good people to do it. I got a phone call saying I was 40 years old. I was working as a federal prosecutor in Philadelphia. And I was thinking I wanted to kind of move back home. My mother at that point was in late stages of Alzheimer's disease. And someone said, will you run against this 30-year incumbent? You'll have the support of the Democratic Party. And I said, okay. I quit my job. I moved home. And six months later, I beat a man who was largely, as you said, seen to be unbeatable. So I tell people that story because, you know, with the way politics are right now, you know this, Laura. I mean, it's so divided. And if we don't, if both parties are not able to attract And get good people to run. It's just going to take us further down the, you know, the rat hole.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because I just over breakfast this morning was talking about both parties. And they just don't seem to be connecting with real people. And I wonder if it's something to do with what I call the consultant industrial complex, all the money that you have to raise, along with how the media is now, that normal accomplished people are not so attracted to it, which is a shame. And I think it's a shame long term for the country.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, because you see it on both sides. You know, we have people on the far left who have, for worse, I think, for the Democratic Party, defined what the Democratic Party is now. And the same on the Republican side. That's right. And both of those extremes don't speak to where most people are. You know, it's funny. I said to people, if I had run, if I decided to run this year, one consultant I wouldn't hire is a pollster because yeah, I have been... <laughs> I mean, we all know they've been wrong over oh and over. They're God. like weathermen. They still keep their jobs. I don't get it. Yeah. But I've said the best poll that you could ever get back is the one that you do yourself. When you're walking, you're you know, getting your coffee in the morning, mm-hmm. and you're speaking to regular people mm-hmm. in your district who are unfettered and they feel unconstrained to tell you how they really feel. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people who run for office they embrace the national, more extreme message than really get down to where the people in their district are. That's exactly right. And I think that's why there's a lot of disenchanted voters who, you know, are really up for grabs every year. Who's the less crazy party? And,
1: and that's they're where they the go. most powerful people in America, those folks who could go either way. They're, they're the ones who make the decisions. And it's interesting because their decisions, while I might not always agree with it, kind of makes sense. You kind of saw that coming.
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, I don't know if many people know this, but because of, of how all of these seats are gerrymandered, you know, every 10 years we have the census. Every state either gains seats in the House or loses, depending on their population gain or drain. And the party in power gets to draw the lines. Yeah. And that results in out of 435 seats in that. Now, the Senate is different. There are 100 seats they run statewide. Right. This doesn't apply to them. But for the 435 seats in the House... of them are either really red or really blue. So there's a handful of races, and we saw that
1: very clearly. Two of those, very few, were in Nassau County. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah, and two others in New York State. I mean, we lost the House. I think it's gonna look like we're gonna lose, the Democrats are gonna lose the House by four seats. Those are the seats we lost in blue New York State. In New York. And I was saying it for months and months to the leadership of the party, leadership of Democrats, not just in Washington, but in the D-Trip and here in New York, that they don't know what's going on in the suburbs.
1: Yeah. You don't
2: have your ear to the ground like I do. Yeah. And we're going to lose these seats. And lo and behold, we did. And it was unfortunate, but that's because we were not listening to
1: voters. Not listening to people. We're listening to the consultants, to the pollsters and to the other people in that little bubble. Something that you accomplished really, apart from what you did as DA, but I'm just going to talk politically for a second, is you won three times, twice, when a Republican was at the top of the ticket, which was interesting. And I remember I was first elected to the legislature in 2013 when you won your third term as DA. And I remember the county executive didn't win, the controller didn't win for Democrat as Democrats. And... You were making a speech and I had to be like, woo, high five. Like, I can't get too excited that I won. But, you know, yay. (laughs) That must have been. But why do you think you were able to break through when the other Democrats countywide couldn't?
2: So I am not someone who. You know, grew up saying, "I'm going to run for office someday."
1: Yeah,
2: I always wanted. You know, I'm one of ten kids, as you know, Laura. Yes. My Where parents. Are you in the age order? So I'm number seven. There were four oh. boys and then six girls in a row. Wow! And um, you know, my parents were born Democrats. Yeah. Grew up in Forest Hills, moved out to start their family in Garden City, became yeah. Republicans once they bought a house, like everyone did, and do, right? started paying taxes, yeah. right? <laughs> right? And marched all their kids down to register as Republicans, and I ultimately you know, ended up where my heart is and and where the values that were instilled in me, which I think are just inherently democratic values of you know, putting your hand out to help those less fortunate and increasing opportunities for everyone, regardless of where they're born. And so when I ran for office, I said I wasn't an ideologue at that point. I just wanted to get things done. Yes. And I was able to kind of build my Public reputation in a business that was not run by women very often, right? Mm -hmm. I was a 40 year old single woman who had no woman had ever been DA in Long Island's history. That's right. And a lot of the older white men were looking at me and saying, Who is this? This
1: kid. You know,
2: yeah, go get me a cup of coffee. Yeah. What I quickly learned was that. Law enforcement, especially, is not either a Democrat or a Republican. You know, everyone wants to live in a safe community, mm-hmm. regardless of what your registration is. And so I went out of my way to work with both Republicans and Democrats. I prosecuted just as many Democrats as I did Republicans. Mm-hmm. If you broke the law, I didn't care what your political affiliation was. Mm-hmm. And I think that earned me respect and a level of support across the political spectrum in what really has become a very purple yeah. part of the state.
1: Yeah. No, you had a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who respected you and maybe even feared you a little bit, which isn't so terrible when you're the DA. And something else that would come up a lot, I remember door knocking in 2013. And, you know, you were on the card with me. And a lot of folks said, you know, I really like what she did in Terrace Avenue. A lot of people in minority communities were really, she really, you know, it was like zero tolerance for nonsense, but there's a chance for diversion. There's a heart there. But yet, You know, she was tough and she made it a lot safer. Yeah, that's the kind of change that you as an elected official beyond all the politics and all the drama and relationships and fights and all that. That's the kind of impact that you can make in people's lives. And I think that really gets lost in the political conversation right now, what you can actually do for people.
2: Well, especially now, Laura, in the context of this argument about bail reform. I mean, I was the initiative that you talked about, Terrace Spadel, was very specifically geared towards drug dealers who you know, were not violent. The violent ones were prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. These were the addicts. These were the people who were just trying to put food on the table. And we gave them a second chance within the community. But everyone in the community was there. The undertaker, all of the religious leaders, Mm -hmm. you know, store owners, people just living in apartment buildings who wanted a safer community. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get that through because I showed that I was tough. The first issue that I dealt with was DWI. We were under-prosecuting that crime. And so I think I was given a little leeway to get people to say, look, you don't, there's a carrot and a stick here. And the problem with, this bail reform stuff is that people didn't feel like they had a say in it. I brought the community in Hempstead together, and they were all fully invested. It wasn't me just telling them this is what we're going to do. We had meeting after meeting after meeting for months saying, what do you think about this? Give me your input. And we had buy-in. The people in New York State didn't feel like they had buy-in when it came to this bail reform stuff. And I think that's why you're seeing this kind of blowback as a result.
1: And it's also meeting people where they are, quite literally, talking to all of the stakeholders not a couple times but over and over and building that relationship and building that trust and i think the way that the bail reform was done it's a whole raft of reforms it's not just one thing but it was done inside a little echo chamber to please a certain kind of politician more than the actual people that they represent absolutely that's why we see it's so damaging i think not just for the city and for the region but also for the party politically
2: i couldn't agree with you more you know look We're both Democrats. We have to have a, for lack of a better term, a come to Jesus about what happened this November. Because I was screaming five alarm fire all year. And what I heard back from the leaders of the Democratic, whether it was the D trip or other higher-ups in the party, saying, look, you don't know what you're talking about. Your district, New York 4, which is wholly encompassed within New York or Nassau County, Mm -hmm. in 2020, it was a Biden plus 13. I said- That's right. But that was a snapshot in time. It was Biden versus Trump. Trump is not on the ballot. That's right. And what I wanted them to look at was not the election results in November of 2020, but in November of 2021, when unfortunately we lost you as county executive. We lost Tim Sini as DA in Suffolk County. Every single Democrat lost. I said, those are the election results that we have to be looking at. Not 2020, because Trump is not on the ballot here. And I think this is why we, you know, people have felt for a long time that the Democratic Party um, isn't hearing their concerns concerns and
1: they voted and said it loud and clear you know and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast my listeners are probably sick of me saying this but I'm really watching so closely the Asian vote and the Hispanic vote yes and I've had I've done podcasts about both of those and they really are in growing numbers going to the other side because they don't feel that this is the this should be the party for them but it just isn't right I'd love to talk so you know the culture of Nassau I'm very well acquainted with but the culture of Congress, And of Washington, I am not. First of all, why did you decide to leave? This is the parlor game that everyone wants to play with me why did kathleen leave and i would say well i take her at her word she's been a public service for 30 years and she wants to do something else with her life I'm like oh maybe she knew she was gonna lose so what was the reason
0: hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt causing anal itching and burning and irritation get fast relief with all natural doctor develop and tested anacool by anacool a-n-a-c-o-o-l on amazon right now and save 15 percent with code wabc 2024
2: Well, you know, I shared my thoughts with you, Laura, before with you and basically my family and a couple of close friends, because I really respect your opinion. And look, I was I just turned 57 and Mm -hmm. I said, it's time. Mm -hmm. One of the complaints, the major complaints that I have with the way things work in Washington is once you get elected, for the most part, it's very hard to get unelected because of the gerrymandered seats. Yeah, I am not in a seat like that. No, I have to fight every two years. But I also felt that. I had to put my money where my mouth is and term limit myself, mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing to do. You mm-hmm. don't get to wear the pin. You're mm-hmm. not called Congressperson anymore. All the little mm-hmm. perks, and there are very few perks, believe yeah. me. But people, lo- people get into that. Oh, they love it. It's all about ego. And look, I'm one of ten kids. I didn't. Yeah. Like, I couldn't. I <laughs> yeah. couldn't get it. I have a really big ego. Yeah, but I also. Just said, you know, I want something different. My career, I've had four major jobs, Mm -hmm. and every one of them I've loved. And it was time. At the time that I made this decision, it was February, the political situation wasn't as bad as it is even. And we thought it was bad then. Yeah. It wasn't even as bad as it was now. Yeah. And people said to me, Well, you probably thought you were gonna lose. I said, look, I've lost races before. Believe me, it stings, but you yeah. know, you lose them and you get over, you get over it. it. It's it is what it it's is. Life. Yeah. But I really this was a personal decision. And I'm looking forward to, you know, getting my private life back. And it's a tough world. You have to grow a really as you know, Laura, a really thick skin because people attack you for the tiniest of things and um, rip your life apart. And that's another reason why good people don't want to get involved.
1: Right. So did you find, I mean, you were a DA, you were a prosecutor. Did you find it challenging to be part of a group that you had to sort of go along with? I mean, something that really impressed me about you, right after I think it was your first re-election in 2016, you said, you know what, maybe we need some new leadership in the House because you just lost big, Trump won. It was, you know, it was pretty much a bloodbath. Maybe we need to take a fresh look at this. And people were horrified. But to me, it just sounded totally normal. Of course you'd want to take a fresh look. And why is it that one person, talking about Nancy Pelosi here, and I'm not here to bash Nancy Pelosi, but why is it that one person representing one district, just as many as everyone else, gets to cling on to power like this? Why is that a thing? It doesn't seem democratic to me,
2: and it's ironic because we're the Democratic Party, yeah, and we basically have had the same leadership for twenty years, right? And I have nothing against Nancy Pelosi. No, I think I have she a lot has of respect been for her. absolutely, but we were losing, and we couldn't afford to lose. Donald Trump was in the White House, and we were losing, and I was sick of it. And so I said the quiet part out loud. Oh, I love And that. I was rigged over the coals. I was punished by leadership. Yeah. Were you I w- punished. Oh my God. What does that I was look in the dog, like? oh, you're in the doghouse. You get, you know, bad not bad committee assignments, because I loved Veterans Affairs and yeah. Homeland Security. So I loved that. Yeah. I was on those both of those committees for almost the whole time that I was in Congress. But you know, if you wanted to get on a bigger committee, no, you're mm-hmm. that's not gonna happen. You are persona non you're grata. Punished. And I get it. That's the way it goes, but that's not the way our system should work, and I think that it's really petty, and I think that you know, absolute power is a dangerous thing to give anyone. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, and I am just so thrilled that finally, even though it's while I'm on my way out the door, that Hakeem Jeffries, who I have been supporting as a fellow New Yorker, but also just a... You know, someone I have wanted to see move up the leadership ladder. And there was going to be a civil war, I think, within the Democratic Party because a lot of our intra family fights were laid out in public last year. And we were looking like, even though we had control of everything, we had the White House, we had the Senate, and we had the House, we looked like the Keystone Cops. Like we couldn't figure out. Anything, Right. And that was the perception. And I think that that was also one of the reasons why people were like, you know what, these Democrats have all the power and look at what they're doing. Yeah, it didn't matter that we had passed the Chips and Science Act. It didn't matter that we passed the PACT Act to protect veterans. Big deals. You know, the bipartisan gun law, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, bipartisan, by the way, almost all of these bipartisan. Yeah, Um, it didn't matter because the public perception was that we couldn't get our act together and there was so much infighting that right. the Republicans were just sitting around eating popcorn watching yeah. you know,
1: this drama unfold. Now it feels like that's reversed. Yes. Like now the Democrats are eating the popcorn, they got their groove back, <laughs> and the Republicans, is Kevin McCarthy gonna win? What you know, is Trump gonna take over still? Or, you know, like what's what's going on with these people and how are they gonna message it all?
2: Well, so you you make a good point because we were acting in the House in this last legislative session as if we had a 60-seat margin in the House when we only had, at our lowest, a three- or four-seat margin. So why we were demonizing each other as Democrats when... At our core, we all had the same values. Did we want this package to be bigger? Of course we did. But baby steps are better than backward steps. I'm a
1: big fan of that. Incremental. And then you win hearts and minds and then you can win more. And you do a little more. And you you do a
2: little more. And it makes it harder for the other party to undo that progress once they get in. And that was my big... Complaint about that, that, you know, here we were Democrats beating up each other, progressives saying you moderates like Stephanie Murphy and Kathleen Rice, you guys are bad. We all wanted the same thing. We just Mm -hmm. wanted to get bills that could pass in the Senate. Because remember, we had basically... The vice president was the only reason why we got anything done in the yeah. Senate because it was 50-50. Right. And so we there were a handful of us. I mentioned Stephanie Murphy from Florida, Scott Peters from San Diego, who understood how important it was for us to work with our Senate colleagues, specifically Kirsten Sinema. I know everyone talks about Joe Manchin. Kirsten Sinema she's is the, the one she's the that pin. gets
1: stuff done. And I, I admire her as well. And yeah. I know she was definitely there was a lot of vitriol thrown at her from Bec- democrats and progressives from democrats yeah. how about she's representing her constituents and her state she's not representing you right or your constituents she doesn't work for you right. she works for the people but this seems to be something within the democratic party you know there's that piece in the times where progressives are blaming mayor adams for the republicans message coming through which is ridiculous in my opinion because totally he's responsible ridiculous. for for crime in the city that's his issue that he he has to deal with, Laura Gillen, who ran to replace you and unfortunately didn't win. She did well, but just not well enough to overcome all of this. She put a tweet, a three-part tweet about, you know, let's look at these bail reform. This is why we're losing. Very not emotional, not blamey, just like this is what we got. This is what I've learned. The pushback, not pushback, the whiplash that she got, the vitriol on Twitter was just... Yeah. It was like blindsiding. Like yeah. my God, and you're Democrats, and you yeah. you can't even look at it, and and of course cinema as well. That's another one. Like why do Democrats seem to do that to each other? Well,
2: first of all, I think there was a you can't escape the gender aspect of it. You know, mm. uh, I mean, you know, my two closest friends in Congress are Kirsten Cinema and Stephanie Murphy. We talk about it all the time. I mean, mm. we prefer to do things behind the scenes and get things done, and then there are people like Joe Manchin who do. You know, their thing and take all the credit. Yeah. But what bothers me about the way that cinema and me, I was treated when I, you know, obviously. I support you know, getting prescription drug prices under control. Yeah. But I didn't vote for HR3, which is yeah. esoteric, doesn't really matter. But the bottom line was I didn't vote for it on my in my position on the Energy and Commerce Committee because I knew it wasn't going to pass in the Senate. Uh-huh. And the time to negotiate was before it got out of the committee. And guess what? We got it done. And people are, there's a cap on what seniors pay on prescription drugs. There's a $35 cap on insulin. We made progress. But the slings and arrows that I took, that yes. Sinema took, that Murphy took, Took, you did. Scott Peters took were ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous.
1: And what I I'm always like explain that because I never understood. Yeah, no, that's that. what it was.
2: And what I would say to my progressive colleagues in the Democratic caucuses, with all due respect to your districts, the majority makers in the Democratic Party are people like me mm-hmm. and cinema. Mm-hmm. And you're Murphy. not always going to
1: win that district. You're that not. State.
2: You know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. It's going to be hard for her to lose that seat. Right the way Even it's with drama. very low turnout. It's right. in the 30s. Right. It's very low. Even that. So I that's what the message I would take to my progressive friends is, you know, we all I consider myself a progressive, but I want I'm a progressive who wants to get stuff done. Yeah. You know, Laura, we have been executives, but you've also been a legislator. It's very yeah. difficult to kind of get everyone on the same page. But it's critically important that you understand that you're all coming from the same good place of wanting to get things done. And so, you know, that really I gotta tell you, last year I, when I was making the decision to run or not, I said, you know people say you know what was it like what term was the hardest that you've had and I've had every iteration I've had a Republican Republicans in control of everything Democrats in mm. control of everything and a mixed iteration of mm. those two mm. every single term it was different in all four of my terms oh that's interesting the hardest one Hands down, was when Democrats were in control of everything because we were acting like we had a mandate and we didn't. And people like me got caught in the crosshairs what because year, what we year were was that? just this oh, one 20. in 2020. Yeah, we have 2020. the White House, we yeah. have the Senate, right. and we have the House, right. but by razor thin margins. Yeah. And I just think that we lost the opportunity to show that we are not Democrat, moderate Democrats are not the enemy to progressive Democrats, right? People like You know, the more extreme members of the Republican Party who want to do away with Social Security, who want to do away with, you know, a woman's right to choose and contraception and all of it. Yes, all all of that is just, I mean, come on, let's consign the right terminology Mm -hmm. to not just our friends, but our foes as well.
1: Mm -hmm. So, how do you feel? After having been an elected official since 2006. Yeah, 17 years, seventeen years, and then being a prosecutor, a, a federal prosecutor, and you were in the was it the Queens DA or no, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn the Brooklyn yeah. DA before that, now embarking on a whole new thing. How do you feel about that?
2: Well, I, you know, I would be I wouldn't be truthful if I said it, there wasn't a little bit of fear. But I've yeah. always lived my life. You know, I had a, a cousin of mine who died at a very young age, and his motto in life was feel the fear and do it anyway. Oh. So every decision you have to make in life is filled with fear. And I we tell just people, I was
1: just talking with right? the the team here at WABC about that very same thing. Yeah. Lean into that lean in, yeah. you know,
2: and look, could I probably have been in maybe I would have won, maybe I would have lost. But I think there's such a big world out there. I'm still young. I, I consider myself young at 57. You young, I still and you f- look gorgeous. Oh, Thank you. Right <laughs> back at you. And I feel like I have a lot to offer. And you know, I'm, I'm doing it in the private sector with an eye toward always trying to make the world a better place is really exciting. Yes, a little scary, but I'm excited.
1: I'm I'm going to miss my friends in Congress, but it's time. Well, I'm here to tell you as your ghost of Christmas past that it's really wonderful. It's really there's something very freeing about it. You can really do what you want, think what you want, say what you want. And it's as much as I loved it. It is just wonderful. Because you've been inside, you know how the sausage is made, you kind of get it in a way that you didn't before. Do you have any specific plans? So, well, I was just mentioning, I re-
2: I spent, I have a nephew who's living in Austin, Texas right now. So some of my sisters and I went to spend Thanksgiving with him and the LBJ, President Johnson's yeah. Presidential Library is there. And I remember... I was reminding myself that I had said I want to, when I have the time, go to every single presidential library we have in this country. There are 15 of them. And I, you know, I was thinking to myself, my gosh, if I wish that young people would get off their phones and their iPads and get off these websites and actually go to a place where history is documented. And you can... have whatever opinion you want about it, but like go and see the rich history of this country, especially now when, you know, there's so much controversy about, the presidency, the Supreme Court, whether Congress has, you know, what they do with the power that they have and how these all co-equal branches of government work, instead of looking at it through a political lens, which is all we do now, look at it from the historical lens of this country and, you know, go to museums and go to presidential libraries. So that's one thing that I'm going to do. I'm hoping I can do it in a year. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, if you do it, when you do it, I hope that you come back and tell us all about it. I
2: would love to.
1: (laughs) Kathleen Rice, thank you for your service and thank you for your friendship. You always had my back when I was county executive, and I really appreciated that. And thanks for coming on Cut to the Chase.
2: Well, thank you, Laura. You were one of the good ones, and maybe we'll get you back someday, hopefully. You never know. Life is funny. (laughs) That's right. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. (laughs) Thank
1: you, Kathleen. Back at you. Thank you very much, dear listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. You can get Cut to the Chase wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate us with a nice favorable rating.